0: Father, we just prayed, fill me up. We pray in Jesus' name that you would fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Because whatever anybody here is facing, it is not by might, it is not by power, but it's by your Spirit that we have the victory. It is, it is not by outsmarting, outwitting, uh, it, it is not by pulling ourselves up by our boot, the bootstraps. Lord, it is by your Spirit. Fill us up, Lord. Most of all, fill us up to live for you. Fill us up to accomplish your purposes. Fill us up to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, throughout the course of history, in every generation, God has sought to raise up a believer or a group of believers through whom he can shine his light into a darkened world. Throughout every generation, God has sought to raise up a, a believer or a group of believers through whom he can use to be his mouthpiece to proclaim his promises through whom he can use to be his rod his instrument to display his power to turn people to right into righteousness he has sought some individual or some group of believers through whom He can display or manifest his force to turn the tide of an entire current or culture. Take Elijah, for example. Elijah was such an instrument, and he prayed, and fire fell from heaven. Elijah prayed, and it did not rain for three years. Elijah prayed again, and the skies grew dark, and it rained once again. Take Moses, for example. Moses stood up toe-to-toe with the Pharaoh of Egypt and said with the same authority of the voice who spoke creation into existence, let my people go. Take Esther, for example, whose people were facing the, the imminent threat of genocide, and she was living in a palace, and she counted the cost. If she stepped forward, if she stepped to defend her people, then it would mean, lo- could mean losing her place in the palace and her own death. And after weighing the cost, she said, if I perish, I perish. And she preserved her people. Take Ruth, for example, who placed faith in God by daring to love again. And she remarried Boaz and chose to make his God, her God. And so became, uh, perpetuated the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. On and on and on it goes. God has sought to raise up some person or some group of people to turn the tide of the entire nation or entire communities, and today he is still looking for such a person. But if we look at at the Esthers or the Moseses or or the Elijahs or the Ruths, We see that they were not random. They were not accidentally born in the time that they were born, and they did not haphazardly face the challenges that they faced. They were born for a specific time in a specific place to face a specific set of problems, and it was all the sovereign orchestration of God. For example, have you ever thought, you know, I wish I were born 100 years ago, or I wish I were born 200 years ago, or the era that I would most like to live, or I would like to be born 100 years from now. You were not born a minute too soon. You were not born a minute too late, and you were born exactly where God ordained you to, born, to, to be born, and you see the exact set of situations and circumstances that grieve the heart of God because He is still looking for a person to raise up. But all of these people throughout history had a very specific set of characteristics. They had a very specific skill set, if you will. There were common denominators, common threads that ran through all of them. God didn't just choose them haphazardly. He saw something in them very unique, very specific, and it was because of that that He chose them and He raised them up. For example... If a Major League Baseball scout is looking for uh, a baseball player, there's about five categories that, that they look for in a potential Major League player. They look for their fielding ability, they look for their throwing ability, their distance, their length, their accuracy. They look for their jump, their height, their, uh, their, their hitting ability, the, the power. They look at size. They look at all of these aspects, all of these these categories, and when they see somebody out on that high school field or out on that college field that hit, and they go, whoa, did you see that hit? And they say, did you see how big they were? So you see the potential that they have? Did you see the accuracy? Did you see how consistent they were? They think, I think we may have found somebody that we're interested in. Or if they're a pitcher, then they look at their curveball, their fastball, their slider, their changeup. Or if if, if an NFL scout is looking for a linebacker, well, then they look for their size, their ability to read the field, their quickness, their speed, their their, their power, how they hit. If they're looking for a quarterback, they're they're looking for mobility, they're looking for intelligence, they're looking for size, they're looking for, for how far they can throw, how accurately they can throw. They're looking for their leadership skills, and when they're watching films or when they're in the stadiums and they see some characteristic, they go, whoa, that's it. And when they see these other characteristics that align with it, and they see that these characteristics are consistently demonstrated in these potential recruits, they say, I think we found somebody. Now, in the same way, God is looking for a specific skill set so that he can raise this person up through whom he can change their world and the world around them. And it's not what you might be thinking that it is. He's not looking for degrees. He's not looking for charisma. He's not looking for beauty. He's not looking for intellect. He's not looking for master's degrees. Degrees. He's not looking for PhD degrees. He's not looking for charisma. There may or may not be anything wrong with these things. They're all moral. They're neither here nor there. But he's looking for somebody who doesn't place any confidence in any of those things, who doesn't lean upon or rely upon any of those things, but somebody who has specific Characteristics. It doesn't matter how how young they are. Josiah was, get this, eight years old when he sparked a revival in his nation. King David and and Joseph were both 17 years of age when they received the call. It doesn't matter how young you are and it doesn't matter how old you are. Moses was 80 years old when he received the call. Abraham was 75 years old when he received the call. Noah was 120 years old when he received the call. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter your educational experience. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. But there there are are a set of about four characteristics that must be present in the person that God says, okay, this is the one. I can use this person. I can work through this person or this group of people. We read in Esther, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Can I tell you something? You were born for such a time as this, and you are living in Fort Worth, Texas for such a time as this. And we read in Acts, David served God's purpose in his own generation. This is uh, both, this speaks to being both purposeful and practical. You were born in this specific time, in this specific place, for God's specific purposes. And he will begin manifesting his purposes through you when you have a set of certain characteristics and incidentally God has been spending your entire life cultivating this set of characteristics in you okay let's look at the first set of characteristics and may I say good job on being here this morning it was a hurricane outside and cold and look at you guys you are here so good job for that and I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to minister to you I took some uh, Alka-Seltzer last night, and since I don't drink alcohol, I haven't had alcohol since my junior year in high school, and so since I haven't had alcohol in like over a couple of decades plus, I... uh, Um, I when I I take medicine, it makes me really loopy, right? So I took some Alka-Seltzer last night, and so I couldn't go back to sleep. So I spent the entire night from 3 a.m. on just praying for you. And as each of your faces came to mind, I prayed for you, and I know that the Holy Spirit is going to touch your life in a very special way today. Okay, here we go. The first characteristic that God is looking for. God is looking for fully devoted hearts. Watch this. This is the person that God is looking for. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. See, just like a scout, just like a recruit, just like an NFL recruit, just like a major league recruit. God is recruiting somebody to enlist in his, in his team, to shine his light into this dark world. You see, when we look at the news and we hear uh, politicians and newscasters become fear monglers, and and we see the hopelessness and the despair around us, what do we do? Do we just wring our hands? Do we just worry? When we look at the immorality of our nation, when we look at the fear and the terror in the world, when we look at a dark religion spreading across the entire world, leading people into bondage, do we just wring our hands and say, oh, no, everything's getting so bad? No. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, therefore, go and it's, it's the person who possesses these four characteristics who walk in this authority. So that the light shines through them and the darkness scatters around them. And the Lord is looking for somebody who possesses these four characteristics. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth like a major league scout, like an NFL scout. In order to strengthen those, to support those, to hold up... Have you ever felt like, like everything you touched was just toxic? Like everything you touched was just frustrated? Like nothing you touched was blessed? And then have you ever experienced what it is to have divine momentum? To have the strength of God, the support of God at your back? I'm not saying that, that, that like televangelists, you're going you're, you're to be rich and, and always happy. I'm not saying that. In this world, we will have trouble. But do you know what it is to rejoice because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world and Christ has overcome the world the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen, support, to bless to uphold watch this those whose hearts are fully committed to him you see Jesus doesn't want part of the pie of your life he doesn't even want the first part of the pie he says keep it, keep it He wants the whole thing. He doesn't want to be compartmentalized to Sunday morning or even your devotional time throughout each day. He wants your whole life. He wants your whole heart. He doesn't want you to hold any aspect, no aspect, no corner of your heart for Him. No pet sins, no bitterness, no rebellion, nothing. He wants the whole thing. He wants a fully surrendered, a fully consecrated heart. That's the person that God is looking to bless. We just sang how God is faithful to us. Gentry, thank you for leading us in that song, and Cassandra. God is faithful to us. He's so good to us. He's so true. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's so faithful to us. And God didn't create us because he wants a religion. God created us because he wants a relationship with us. And he's so faithful. And what His Holy Spirit is doing within our heart is cultivating us to return that same faithfulness back to Him. I've officiated many, many sermons over the years, and can you imagine these wedding vows? Can you imagine the bride saying to the groom, "Through sickness or in health, for better, or for worse, for richer or poor, until God by death shall, shall, shall separate us." And then, can you imagine the groom responding, "In sickness and in health, for richer, or for poor, for better, or for worse." Forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you 360 days out of the year, but you got to give me five days out of the year. That's pretty good, right? You get 360 days of faithfulness. How many brides do you think would stick around for the rest of that service? It would be heartbreaking, it would be offensive, it would be disrespectful, it would be dishonorable. And in the same way, God says, I don't, want, I don't want the first part of your day. I don't want a piece of the pie. I don't want 360 days out of the year. I don't want two hours out of your day. I don't even want 12 hours out of your day. I want your whole life. I want your whole heart. Anything less is less than the passionate relationship that I died on the cross to have with you. We read in Second Timothy, If you keep yourself pure... This is a heart that's wholly devoted to Christ. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a a, a utensil God can use for his purpose. Your life will be clean. And you'll be ready for the master to use for every good work. Another translation says you'll be used for noble purposes. You have paper plates in your kitchen. You have plastic plates in your kitchen. And you use that for pizza, right? Just to watch TV on a casual night. But you also have nice plates and nice silverware in your kitchen. And you use that for for special occasions, for noble occasions. And in the same way, in the kitchen of God's church, there's paper plates that God uh, doesn't use for noble purposes. And there's fine china that God uses for special, for noble noble purposes. What is the difference? He uses the clean vessel for noble purposes. He uses the heart that's fully consecrated, fully surrendered to him for noble purposes. For example, you know, oftentimes we see one another and we say, hey, how are you doing? And that's why I appreciate my my good friend Ruben Gonzalez. Every time he sees me, he says, how's your heart? And he doesn't let me off the hook. Isn't that a more... Is it a probing question, a a deeper question, a more telling question? And oftentimes we respond based upon aspects that have nothing to do with our heart on how we are doing. Because we define success oftentimes by things that have nothing to do with what God considers truly successful. What if we define success by what God thinks of us rather than what others think of us? What if we define success by the tenderness in our hearts rather than the progress in our careers? Have you ever been depressed because your career career wasn't advancing as you wanted it to advance? What if we spent the the same amount of time praying and wrestling over the tenderness in our heart rather than the advancement of our careers? What if we define success by what we have overcome rather than what we have accomplished? Wouldn't that be encouraging? Wouldn't that be humbling? What if success were defined by what you have overcome rather than by what you have accomplished? And as far as God's concerned, it is. I have a good friend and, and he's made some bad decisions in his life and it's caused an incredible amount of consequences in his life. I mean, he dug a major pit and he fell in it and he kept digging a major pit time and time again. And once he got into the pit, he kept digging. And by the way, if you're ever in a pit, the wisest thing you can do is to stop digging because you just go deeper. He was deep in a pit for years. And because of that, maybe he didn't progress or he didn't advance at the same rate of some of his peers. And he was discouraged about that and loathing himself over that. And I said, you know what? And I named off a lot of the peers or a lot of the people that he looked up to. And I said, you have overcome more than any of those people in their entire lifetime put together. And what God is looking for isn't somebody who's just run off and achieved. What God is looking for is somebody with the stamina, the endurance, the perseverance to not grow weary and to overcome. And God is going to bless that life. What if we define success, watch this, by how well we treat others rather than how we are treated? So often we get so discouraged because somebody treats us poorly or they look at us poorly but what if, what if we were grieved over the fact that, ah, I treated somebody poorly. I think they may have misinterpreted my words. I think that person might have come in and out of my presence without being encouraged, without being edified. What if that grieved us? What if we define success by the size of our dreams rather than our disappointments? What if we define success by our resolve to forgive others rather than our fixation upon an offense? What if we define success by how obedient we are to the Spirit's unctions rather than how comfortable we are? What if we define success by how Spirit-filled we are rather than how much charisma or knowledge or wisdom that we might have? God is looking for somebody who's successful in the most important area, and that is the area of their heart. He's looking for a fully consecrated heart. Here are some characteristics of a fully consecrated heart a fully devoted heart never stops forgiving. A fully devoted heart never stops forgiving. If at any point, after you've lived life a while, you stop forgiving, then what happens is a seed of bitterness begins to ferment and it begins to grow. What did Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can we do any less than that? Think of an offender right now. Think of an offender, and you're struggling with bitterness If that person keeps you up at night, you're struggling with bitterness. If that person robs you of your peace and joy throughout the day, you're struggling with bitterness. If that person occupies your thoughts throughout the day, and if you're struggling with bitterness, at some point you've stopped carrying your cross. At some point you've stopped forgiving. And so, pray, God, help me to forgive them. Help me to let them off the hook. And you say, but you don't understand what they did. It was so big. It was so grave. It was so offensive. All the more you've got to let them off the hook. Because as long as you're connected to that person by a seed of bitterness, then they can hurt you over and over and over and over and over and over over again. And the only way that you will ever be released from that hurt is if you release them through forgiveness you see forgiveness is largely a selfish act you're not even forgiving for them you're forgiving you for yourself you're forgiving so they can't hurt you over and over and over again you're forgiving so that you can move on with your life you're forgiving so that you can be healed and God can restore you and and you can be whole once again and you forgive them and as the saying goes you let a prisoner free only to realize that that prisoner you set free was yourself. A fully devoted heart never stops forgiving. Secondly, a fully devoted heart never stops surrendering. You know, there are times in my life and I had very transcendent moments with Christ. When he called me, when he renewed me, times that he's encouraged me, times that he's carried me through, times that I've tried to pull myself up by the bootstraps only to realize my bootstraps were broken and I had no hope at God. He is faithful. He has carried me. And there are times during those seasons that I surrendered to him. Oh, and his presence was like a flood that washed over me. But we can never Stop surrendering. That surrender was good for then. That surrender was necessary for then. But that surrender is insufficient for today. Every morning we have to wake up and fully surrender again. Thirdly, a fully devoted heart never stops dreaming. As again, as I said again, Abraham was 75 years of age when he received the call. Moses was 80. Noah was one hundred and twenty. Josiah was eight. David and Joseph, 17. You're never too young. You're never too old to dream or to dream again. And when we spend more time, guys, when we spend more time looking back at our disappointments, than looking forward at new dreams that God has put on our heart. Life is over. Because without a vision, the people perished. And if you are looking back more at disappointments rather than dreaming forward, rather than dreaming ahead and pursuing that and praying for that, then what you need to do more than anything else today is pray that God gives you a new vision. And fourthly, a fully devoted heart never stops focusing. We read in Hebrews... Fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We have to maintain our focus. We have to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Second, God is looking for someone, and this is the second characteristic of the person that God uses. The first is it's the person with a fully devoted, a fully consecrated heart. Secondly, God is looking for someone to stand in the gap for others. And we talked about this last week when we talked about prophets, priests, and kings. And that so resonated, I think in the new year, we'll probably do a series on prophets, priests, and kings But look at this great passage a a good brother pointed out to me. I looked for someone among them. Again, God is a scout. He's a recruit and he's looking for someone. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not destroy it. But I found none. God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. And when you see family members that are going astray, and when you see a community that needs Christ so badly, or when you see a nation that's that's losing its focus and it's it's unraveling morally, or when you see a world that's that's in dire need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is looking for someone to stand in the gap, to pray for them. I'm going to read to you uh, this book I've been I've been reading. It's it's been great. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a it's a pastor named, named Leonard Ravenhill, and uh, he wrote a simple little book called Why Revival Tar- Tarries. Let me just read some of this with you guys, uh, for you guys. In fact, let me just pull up a chair and you guys just sit back and relax. But be, be encouraged by these words. The tragedy of this late hour is that we have too many dead men in the pulpits giving out too many dead sermons... too many dead people. Oh the horror of it. There is a strange thing that I have seen under the sun even in the fundamentalist circles. It is preaching without unction and it's also living without unction and ministering without unction and working without unction. What is unction? (laughs) I hardly know but I know what it is not or at least I know when it is not upon my own soul. Preaching without the unction kills instead of giving life. The unctionless preacher is a savor of death unto death. The word does not live unless the unction is is upon the preacher. Preacher, with all thy getting, get unction. A sermon born in the head reaches the head. A sermon born in the heart reaches the heart. Under God, a spiritual preacher will produce spiritually minded people. People. Unction is not a gentle dove beating her wings against the bar outside the preacher's soul. Rather, she must be pursued and won. Unction cannot be learned, only earned by prayer. Unction is God's knighthood for the soldier preacher who has wrestled in prayer and gained the victory. Victory is not won in the pulpit by firing intellectual bullets or wisecracks, but in the prayer closet. It is won or lost before the preacher's foot ever enters the pulpit. Unction is like dynamite. With the fever of church building there is now, yet without unctionized preachers, these altars will never see anxious, repentant souls. Suppose that we are fishing boats with the latest radar equipment and fishing gear, launched month after month and put to sea only to return without a catch. What excuse would we take for this barrenness? Yet thousands of churches see empty altars week after week, year after year, and cover this sterile situation by misapplying the verse my word will not return void. The ugly fact is that the altar fires are either out or burning very low. The prayer meeting is dead or dying. By our attitude of prayer, we tell God that what we begun in the spirit, we can finish in the flesh. What church ever asks its candidating ministers what time they spend in prayer? Yet, ministers who do not spend at least two hours a day in prayer are not worth a dime a dozen. Degrees are no degrees. And that's, that's the same for all of our ministry, for all of our witnessing, for all of our living, for all of our s- attempts to be Spirit-filled without the Spirit, without unction. We don't have it. And this unction is a result of prayer by standing in the gap for people. The third characteristic that God is looking for in somebody. God is looking for someone weak enough. God is looking for someone weak enough Paul said, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. My weaknesses, not my strengths. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is this? It's because it's our weakness that allow us and force us to rely upon God. And without these weaknesses, we rely upon ourselves. And God can do nothing through us. Nothing. Not less. Nothing. When we rely upon ourselves. But through our weaknesses, through our need to receive forgiveness, God's grace begins being championed through us. Through our need to receive God's grace to forgive, God's compassion and empathy begins uh, ministering and flowing through us. Through our need to rely upon God for provision, God's authority and his power begin flowing through us. What was so special about Moses? I'll tell you what was so special about Moses. What was so special about Moses was that he had lost all self-confidence. And he had a lot of it. When he was 40 years of age, he had status, he had clout, he had position, he had influence, he had credibility, he had respect, he had education, but he tried and he failed. And then 40 years later, he was a broken man who stuttered and he was painfully insecure. He placed at that time, not little, no confidence in the flesh. And God said, whoa, I found somebody. What was so special about Gideon? What was so special about Gideon was that he had not little, again, no self-confidence. When I believe it was the Midianites that were overthrowing the, the people of God, you know where, where Gideon was? He, was? he was down in the cellar, and then Jesus, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, stood before Gideon and said to a man who was hiding, Arise, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon was like, well, who are, you? are you talking to me? I think you have me mixed up. And God says, no, it's you. And then Gideon went through this whole discourse about why God had the wrong person. He said, well, well, hold on a second. My my tribe is the least of all Israel, and and my clan is the least of the tribe, and my family is the least in the clan, and I'm the least of my family. I think you have me mixed up. And Jesus said, no, arise you mighty man of valor. It's the very fact that Gideon had no reason to have self-confidence that God delighted in him, because Gideon had to rely entirely on the power of God. Consider David, for example. David had seven older brothers and he was overlooked. He didn't even get to make the lineup when Samuel was going to anoint a king from the house of Jesse. And after all seven went before the prophet Samuel, Samuel thought, wow, this one is handsome. This one looks like a king. This one has a strong stature. This one carries himself like a leader. Well, this one seems really intelligent. Well, this one has a lot of charisma. And God said, no, 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 no. Man looks on the outside. God looks at the heart. And Samuel asked Jesse, do you have another? And he said, well, there's David, but that's David, and you don't mean David, and he's out watching the sheep. What was so special about David? The fact that David placed no confidence in himself. And then their disciples, the disciples, the Bible says that not many extraordinary people in the flesh are called. Not many uh, intelligent in the flesh and and, and articulate and self-confident in the flesh are called. Not many noble people are called. But God uses the weak things, the despised things of this world to shame the world. And he picked out the disciples who were a -a ragamuffin group of people. Why? Because they would place confidence in Christ when they received the Holy Spirit. And then look at the greatest apostle of all who wrote a third of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the champion of grace, was the chief of sinners who persecuted the church because he needed grace most of all. And I say all of that to say, so often we look at our past and we say, God could never use me. Now, that's the world's thinking. The world forgets about us because of these things in our past. But God looks at our past and says, well, that is exactly why I can use you. Because it's through those things that you're going to place your faith in me. And the fourth characteristic of the person God uses. God is looking for someone responsive to his voice. Someone responsive to his voice. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. But do not be like the horse or as the mule who have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them back. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Would you stand with me, please? God is saying, you have to be responsive. You have to be submissive. You have to say yes. yes. What What good is it if the Holy Spirit calls you and you hear his voice and you nod and you say how nice and then disregard it and go about your way you have to be responsive now there have been so many times in my life that I have ignored the spirit's leadings and I'm grateful for those times because as I watch things unfold it helped me to realize oh okay that was the spirit's leading and that's why this thing flopped so badly and then there have been times that I've been responsive to the spirit's leading and I just sense the divine power at my back there have been times I've been, I've been stubborn, and I heard the leading, but I said later, and missed opportunities, and in hindsight, said, oh, okay, that was the Spirit's leading. See, we, we, we've all ignored the Holy Spirit's leadings, we've all ignored His promptings, we've all been unresponsive. And I'm grateful for those times, because that helps us to identify His leadings in the future, and helps gives us an urgency to act upon them. I remember with was Brandon and Darnell in India and the Holy Spirit told me, don't spend any time in preparation. And I'm, and I'm an incessant studier and there's nothing wrong with studying. Study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed. But the Holy Spirit spoke clearly to my heart. No studying, no preparation. Don't roll any thoughts through your mind. Don't gather or collect any thoughts before you get up to speak. And I think that the Lord was just deepening me in trust and being responsive to the Holy Spirit. So this whole time, and we had many opportunities to speak and share the gospel, this whole time I was very conscious to place no confidence in the flesh, to not prepare, to not study, to not gather my thoughts, uh, but just to begin speaking. And so... I would do that. I mean, whether it was before a group of college people or whether it was before a, 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 a community or a village or a church, I wouldn't plan anything. I would just stand up and speak. And when I spoke, there was the authority, there was the power, the Spirit moved, and the altars were full. And you want to know what? I started getting (laughs) self-confident, and then we went to this prison, and there there are these prisoners there in Kenya, and the Holy Spirit reminded me, don't prepare your thoughts. And then right before I was getting up to speak, the Holy Spirit said, I just sensed the work has been done, just give the invitation. But as I had already begun preparing my thoughts... I wanted to deliver what I wanted to deliver because it was good I thought and I wanted them to hear it. And I guess I just felt like preaching. And so I get up and I start preaching and you want to know what? It was painful. Nothing. I mean no response. It was it was it was it was painful. And and I couldn't I couldn't get my way out of it. I couldn't preach my way out of it. It was just bad. There was no response. Not one person budged. Then this preacher, this spirit-filled preacher came up after me and he took the microphone and he just led the altar. He just led the response. And you want to know what? Many people got saved. And so the next opportunity I had, I didn't roll anything through my heart or nothing through my mind. I just worshiped and then just began speaking. And then the Holy Spirit moved again. Now, the, the Lord may or may not lead us always like that, but I just say that to say this. The, uh, being responsive to the Holy Spirit is where the power of God flows in our life. And He's always speaking. He's always communicating. But I don't believe that we're always listening. I've, I've mentioned before that there was a time that I, I was driving in, back behind Central Market. There were some people playing basketball. And I thought, man, I wished, I would love to begin sharing Christ with those guys. But they're playing basketball. I can't relate with them. I, I, if it were football, I could, I could hang, and, but it's basketball, and I have no basketball coordination. And I thought, oh, well, it was a nice thought. So I drive off, and that was back behind Central Market. And by now, I'm actually on I-30 going east in front of Arlington Heights. And that same image is in my heart of me playing basketball with these guys. And I just think, shoot. So now I'm doing a U-turn, and I'm praying, Lord, you're really going to have to go before me on this. And so I park, and they're still playing basketball, and I just kind of walk up slowly. And they look at me like I'm a fish out of water. And I say, you mind, mind if I play? And they say, yeah, sure. They toss me the basketball. You know, it hits me in the face. And, and I, I try to dribble and it you know rolls off my shoe. And, and so they're real gracious to me. They just sort of toss me the basketball like that and give me space to dribble and shoot. And, you know, two and a half hours later, we're eating pizza together. And then they start coming to youth on Wednesday nights. And, and, and they come to Christ. You see the difference between ignoring the Spirit's unctions and the Spirit's leadings and being responsive to it? In being responsive to the Spirit's leadings, you don't have to have any, none, zero human credentials, none. You don't have to be cool, educated, articulate, seminary degrees, charismatic, knowledgeable, nothing. All you have to be is responsive to the Spirit's leading and then The same power that spoke the universe into existence and calmed the storms and raised the dead literally begins flowing through you to melt hearts and destroy intellectual barriers and draw people to believe that Jesus is real and he loves them and he'll save them if they turn to him. But we have to be responsive to his Holy Spirit. We must be responsive. So let me review this. God is still looking for someone through whom he can change the world But this person has a set of characteristics that make them unique to God. It's not what the world might think, but here's the set of characteristics. God is looking for fully devoted hearts. Are you holding anything back in your heart from God? Is there any sin? Is there any resentment? Is there any bitterness? Is there any seed of anger? Is there any seed of lust? Is there any pet sin? Uh, is there any materialism? Is there any covetousness? Is there any, is, is, is there any selfish ambition? Is there anything that you're holding back from God? God is looking for fully devoted hearts. Secondly, God is looking for someone who will stand in the gap on behalf of a lost and dying world. Not someone who will watch the news and wring their hands Not someone who will see people they love spiral out of control and just fret and fear over it. But someone who will stand in the gap for people. Thirdly, God is looking for someone weak enough to do His will. I'm encouraged by that one. God isn't looking for human credentials. God is looking for someone who will place no confidence in the flesh and all confidence in the Spirit of Christ that works through them. And fourthly, God is looking for someone responsive to His voice. Will you respond to His voice? (laughs) You want to know how revival starts? You want to know what a revival is? In short, let me just summarize a revival like this. A revival is a wildfire of righteousness. It is a wildfire of passion for Christ and compassion for the lost. That's a wildfire that sweeps through a community, consuming anything in its path. Revivals are a fact of history. Revivals are a fact of our American history. Revivals are a fact of biblical history. But it's been a long time since we've witnessed a revival. But you know how a revival starts? It's when there's a group of people A group of people who are fully devoted to Christ in their hearts. That means they they repent to get things out of their hearts. It's a group of people who stand in the gap for a lost community, who stand in the gap for leaders, who stand in the gap for wayward and prodigal family members, and who stand in the gap for the world. God is looking for a group of people weak enough to do His will. A group of people that champions humility, a group of people that honors lowliness, a group of people that that, that esteems servanthood, a, a group of people that place no confidence in the flesh, a group of people that are even sickened when they begin to sense people placing confidence in charisma. God is looking for a group of people weak enough to do His will and who esteem weakness because it renders, it, it emphasizes Christ's confidence. And God is looking for a group of people who are responsive to His voice. A group of people. Why can't that group of people be us? Why can't that group of people be now? I can't think of a better place than Fairmount Southside, Fort Worth, Texas. I can't think of a better time than now for for revival to break out. But we as a church just have to ask ourselves if we want to play church or if we want to be the church. We as a church just have to ask ourselves if we want to be a country club or if we want to be a church. We have to ask ourselves if we want to gather week after week around a warm, cozy campfire in Sing Kumbaya or if we want to be a consuming wildfire Of passion for Christ all out, 100% passion for Christ and compassion for a lost and dying world. Revivals are a fact of history. Why can't a revival happen now? Why can't it happen here? God is looking for somebody with a fully devoted heart. God is looking for someone to stand in the gap for the lost. God is looking for someone weak enough to do His will. And God is looking for someone responsive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let that be us. And so in response... Let's come forward and let's fully surrender our hearts to Jesus. Let's repent of any seed in our heart that isn't His. Let's give our whole hearts to Christ. Let's stand in the gap for lost people. And then let's resolve to, to, to respond to His voice and to trust in Him as we go out from here and lead people to Christ. And let's be responsive as, as the Lord places people in our life to go out and to reach them. And to go into the highways and into the byways and to compel them to come in so that his house is full. And as we said before, so that hell is plundered and heaven is populated in Jesus' name. Let's be a wildfire. And so I ask that we respond as a church family.